Whoa, Nelly, it's the 123rd Annual Indiana General Assembly Halftime Show, starring White Christian Nationalism, featuring the attack on public education with a special guest appearance by Child Labor, brought to you by State Policy Network, the American Legislative Exchange Council, the National Association of Christian Lawmakers, and presenting sponsor Coke Industries, fueling the right-wing hate machine since Germany 1934. Coke Industries, creating value, transforming life for the worse. Welcome to the Who's Left podcast, a show about Indiana politics, history, and culture from the unapologetic perspective of the Hoosier left. My name is Scott Aaron Rogers, and I'm recording from Bloomington. Today on the pod, we continue the big anniversary week spectacular and fun drive with a return visit from Mad Voters Indiana Outreach Director Chelsea McDonald. From their website, quote, Mad Voters is a social welfare nonprofit organization that seeks to advance equitable efforts in Indiana through education, outreach, and advocacy. End quote. They carry out this mission by providing accessible information to Hoosiers about their legislators, legislation, and the legislative process in Indiana, providing regular updates on relevant current events and issues in Indiana to Hoosiers, encouraging active engagement with legislators and the electoral process, supporting voter registration and education efforts, supporting candidates who align with our core values by publicizing campaign volunteer opportunities and promoting them on social media, and finally by facilitating partnerships, connections, and collaboration with like-minded organizations and initiatives. The 2024 legislative session is now just past its halfway point. Bills that originated in and passed out of the House are now being considered in the Senate, and vice versa. Recall, a bill only becomes law after passing both houses and being signed by the governor. After a long, contentious 2023 session, this year's session is shorter and slightly less offensive to open-minded Hoosiers, Chelsea will give us an overview of the major pieces of legislation her organization is following. We'll hop right into that interview, and I'll have thoughts on the other side. But first, some internet panhandling. Who's Left is dedicated to calling out Indiana lawmakers, their financial backers, and the networks of people actively working to make our lives worse by cutting education, cutting health care, cutting gaping holes in the social safety net. Those whose policies kill children via environmental degradation, lack of access to necessary health care, and lax gun control laws. Those that sow grief in our homes and communities. I will work to highlight these bad actors so we can replace them with more empathetic leadership. I will also shine a light on Hoosier activists, organizations, and elected officials who are working to build a more just, equitable, and compassionate Indiana. But I can't do that without you. Right now, the only income I bring to my household is from this project. I rely on your financial support from paid subscriptions over at scottaaronrogers.substack.com. For five bucks a month or only $50 a year, you can help me push our state in a better direction and help my family in the process. Consider it a small investment in Indiana's future. And hey, I get it. Not everybody can afford a paid subscription at this time. But you can still help. Subscribe at the free level over on Substack. Set your favorite podcast player to auto-download new uh, new episodes of the show. Rate and review the podcast on Apple or whatever platform you use. And follow us on social media at facebook.com slash who's left. That's H-O-O-S left. And follow me on uh, at... Scott Raj 78, that's S C O T T R O G 78 on Instagram, threads, and the platform everybody still calls Twitter. And on Mastodon at Scott Raj 78 at Hoosier.social. Most importantly, pass on the word. Forward the newsletter to a colleague, perform a rendition of the podcast through interpretive dance. Don't like, but share on social media. 
With your investment, a full-time Who's Left looks like new content every day. It looks like full coverage of the 2024 election cycle in Indiana and beyond. And it looks like zooming out to see how the forces at work in our state function nationally and even globally. I do not plan on paywalling any content because I believe in open access to information. And your support helps make that content freely available to all Hoosiers. For a wide view of those forces at work, check out yesterday's episode with guest Tom Levant. We reset the table, putting the current crisis of social breakdown in historical perspective. Wednesday, Chairman of the Monroe County Democratic Party David Henry joins the show for a talk about fighting right-wing extremism via the two-party system, why it works the way it does, and the benefits and drawbacks of working within that system. Thursday, Indianapolis City Councilman Jesse Brown returns to the pod to discuss his first month-plus on the council, coming into the party and then government as an outsider, and some of the resistance he's faced from fellow Democrats. Friday, I'll have a written piece over on Substack. Hope to have you aboard for the full ride. Here's my interview with Mad Voters' Chelsea McDonald. Welcome back to the Who's Left podcast. At this time, the Director of Outreach for Mad Voters, Indiana, Chelsea McDonald. Chelsea, welcome back. Thank you. So, I want to talk about um, the current legislative session going on at the Indiana State House. Your organization, Mad Voters, has, uh, I think, the best coverage of the session. Oh, oh. <laughs> and uh and so i just i first of all i want to thank you for, for what you and the rest of the team thank you thank you so much and you know really it, it is a team effort and i you know i've worked on a lot of teams and there's a lot of teams, but i would say our team is one of the best for sure just a lot of really smart go-getters ready to work when it's needed. I couldn't be more thankful for them. Yeah, great, great job just all around. So, um, the session this year is shorter, I guess, than the one last year. Um, can you explain the difference between like the odd and even number year sessions uh, in the assembly? Yeah, absolutely. So this year isn't a budget year. And so it's going to be a shorter session, not just because of that, but because of the elections this year and it being such a big election. Um, all 100 seats are up for election in the House and half of the 50 Senate seats are up, plus our federal elections with our state senators and our governor and, and all of this stuff. Um, so it's a shorter session. They do have a two year tax committee that meets to talk about tax reform and things like that. But no budgetary uh, changes are made until a budget year, which will be next year. And this year we're only going until I want to say March 12th is when everything has to be wrapped up. And then and it also has to do with fundraising as well, because nobody can fundraise until after the session. They want to get out. They want to fundraise because these are big elections. And and every second means something in a big election year like this, truly. Yeah, yes, certainly. Um, so my understanding is there were approximately 130 bills introduced ahead of the session. We are currently at the halfway point, essentially. Uh, anything introduced in the House... Um, we'll have gone through the House. Anything introduced in the Senate, we'll have gone through the Senate. Um, how many bills have made it out of one chain? You know, there's a couple handfuls in each. And, you know, some of it is stuff that's, you know, not anything really you know they're just making a few changes to you know whether it's like uh, the mailing system of the bmb you know there's always those just bills that are needed but aren't a big deal um but then we still have a couple handfuls of bills that we're really paying attention to and then a handful of bills that are high alerts so you know a lot of the stuff that we started out with being worried about 
dropped off. But of course, a lot of the stuff that we were really hopeful about dropped off faster. Well, okay. So tell me about that. Yeah. Um, last year in the session, um, it, it was pretty toxic, right? That, you know, just attacks on public education everywhere. Uh, you know, Republicans put in a universal voucher system. They passed their own version of the Florida don't say gay law. Uh, they, you know, attacked trans kids and banned gender affirming care. There's lots of nasty stuff last year. Um, you said the, the worst of this year didn't come to fruition? Yes, that that is true. As far as at least, um, especially with trans and LGBTQ plus and, and all of these fights that we have, um, those really didn't make it through. We are still watching something that is going to target LGBTQ individuals. But this year, I mean, honestly, it's an election year. So I wasn't expecting to see anything absolutely outrageous because especially and this is my opinion and this is based off of things I've seen, people I've talked to, where I've been. They know we're watching. Yeah, they see it. They they know that we're watching them, that we're calling them out, that we have people paying attention everywhere. And I think that they're starting to tiptoe a little bit. I think that they threw stuff out there to kind of see what would stick, kind of see what people's reactions would be. And like when 1291, which was, the you know, the bad one, when that came out, we flooded their system. I mean, we had people emailing us saying, I can't get through to these legislators because their phones were so busy. Um, when people would get through, we'd have assistants huffing and puffing and like, yes, we know why you're calling. And, um, you know, and and that was good. And I think that having that and so many organizations put forth these efforts and there were petitions and there were email chains. And I think that we hit that hard enough that they were like, Okay, maybe not this year. Maybe not during this election year. And what was you know ninety one about? Um, okay, so actually, let me pull this up because I want to make sure that I have the um, the last write up of it. So give me just a second. I thought so. This one was basically going to erase trans people, non-binary people, mm. um, intersex people from language within our state. And it starts off by removing anything that has to do with gender or gender-based terms, and it replaces it with biological sex. So you could only be deemed biological female or biological male. And so it goes through and it does that and it changes language throughout our uh, legislation and all of that, our constitution. And But then it took a couple things a step further um, like one of the things was it would, if for whatever reason, gay marriage were repealed, right? And yeah. taken away. We already. Clarence Fowles gets his way. Yes. Right. Right. Indiana already has a law on the books that would ban it. They wanted to take it a step further and make it to where if this happened, the state would basically not. Um, take marriage license like they they wouldn't count marriage license from people who were gay um they even from out of state it said now when you stop and think about it that is a huge violation and i think that they would end up dealing with like major major litigation and repercussions on something like that but then again the rules haven't really been applying to them very much so you know, we didn't want to ignore that language, but we also didn't want to make it the focus because the real focus was on transgender individuals who they were basically trying to ban from our state. Ridiculous. It's great work by you and your team, every other that work just swash that thing. So thankfully, we put that one to bed. Um, what other kind of fresh hell is the supermajority serving up for us this session? Well, since we're kind of on the subject of the LGBTQ community and their rights, we are looking at Senate Bill 128, which is titled Human Sexuality Instruction. So this restricts instruction on, but doesn't define, because you know that they love writing vague legislation, human sexuality 
which is going to target LGBTQ individuals, studies, education, and I mean, further worsen our substandard sex education as it is. In Indiana, each district gets to decide what they do um, for their sex ed. And a lot of districts focus on abstinence. And there are some districts in Indiana that actually bring churches in to do their sexual education teachings. So you can see, you know, and this is proven, I mean, based on studies that comprehensive sex education cuts down on unwanted pregnancy, STIs, and even in some cases, sexual violence and assault, because people are more aware of the warning signs. They're more aware of what constitutes sexual assault or sexual violence, and they can report it or they can get out of the situation. This is comprehensive sex ed is 100 percent needed across the board, starting when the kids are young, when we can teach them proper words so that they're not using these words that people don't understand and don't understand that abuse or neglect is going on. You know, it, it, comprehensive sex education also includes age appropriate in that. You know, nobody wants to talk to kindergartners about porn and, you know, and about gay sex. Like, that's not what anybody's doing. Right. We want them to know the words and how to express themselves in, in these ways. I mean, that's so important and it would solve so many problems and 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 yeah that's why you know experts and the educators and the people who are trained in sex education and study these things they will tell you that but yes you know these like religious zealots and radicals in the state house they they want they want to put churches and public schools doing this stuff it's insane and yes. um and to, I, they that's not the only place they want to stick uh, church business in public schools, I understand. Um, Senate bill, is that 50? Yes. Chaplain public schools, yes. Yep, and we are not the only state dealing with this, unfortunately. But it, it's, um, you know, in Indiana, we already have an issue, as you know, with our deteriorating public education because of the funding and because of the legislation, the poor policies. Um, this just, I mean, hits you right in the bad spot. I mean, cause it right now our school counselors, they are some of the most trained people we have in schools because we keep pulling back, um, policies that require teachers to have certain kinds of training. This year we tried to make it to where teachers would no longer need pedagogy examinations. And thankfully that died, but counselors in Indiana are required to teach for two years before they become counselors. So they understand what the culture in the classroom is. They understand what's happening in the classrooms. And on top of that, they have training in other things. I mean, you know, they're not psychologists, but they do go through training to help kids with mental health things, um, help them understand, help them have the words and the context to help these kids in all of these different situations. Um, you know, there's supposed to be training on uh, identifying human trafficking and sexual abuse and neglect and, you know, all of these wonderful things that people need to be trained on when they're working with kids. And they would not only want to be replacing counselors with chaplains, these chaplains would not be required to be trained in the things that these counselors are trained in. They would not be required to teach in a classroom. And Another thing that was very worrisome in this was that they were not mandated reporters. And in a school setting, every single employee is supposed to be a mandated reporter. And now some of this language changed and now it is um, they have to be a mandated reporter for things like uh, if they want to hurt people, um, maybe hurt themselves or... I'm trying to think of what the other thing was, um, but like they don't have to mandate or they're not mandated to report like um, depression or anything like like they it, it, they're they don't have to talk to parents or anybody about kids like going down a depressive path. Right. I guess is what I'm going to say, like like that's not what they're there for is basically what the language is saying is that they're there for kids to come to if they want to. 
you know, whether that's on religious grounds or the kids don't trust the counselor, which once again, they're throwing shade at the public schools saying that kids don't trust their counselors. And I went through the public school system and I grew up in a rough, rough situation. And thankfully, even if I didn't have any friends, I had the school counselor. At every school that I went to, the school counselor treated me with respect and kindness. And that has been my experience with my children. It has been my experience in many, many ways. And I'm not going to disregard other people's bad experiences. But there are way more good experiences than there are bad experiences. And we need to be focusing on how we extend those good experiences and not focus on those few bad experiences and completely rewrite the script. Anybody can look at this and tell you having untrained individuals who are not fully mandated to report on things is a bad idea, especially. And, you know, this is not a hit on religion, but. Based on what we see, the statistics, mm-hmm. one could argue that chaplains and religious figureheads are people that we need to be protecting children from, right? You got right to something I was <laughs> hit at, because if these people aren't mandated reporters, like I, I, I don't need to tell anybody that a ton of uh, sexual abuse happens in religious settings way more than in secular settings right well and it's yeah they're never really required a religious setting everything is so private it's so secretive it's so personal and i don't want to take that away from anybody but it's not personal when you're abusing somebody or when you're being abused that's not a personal problem that is a problem that needs a solution and needs a quick fix immediately it it, praying doesn't fix that and all of these flaws aside, I don't know. I thought we had something called First Amendment in this country. There should not be religious indoctrination in any public school anywhere for period. Well, I mean, it's all right in every school. I mean, we, we still say the Pledge of Allegiance. Mm-hmm. I stopped saying the Pledge of Allegiance by the time I got into high school. I was like, you have got to be kidding me right now. And I, I, it blows my mind that that's still happening, that that ever happened, you know, and it's like, it's one thing to be a proud American and, you know, like, you know, pledge your allegiance to your country and everything. But the way that they word that, like you're pledging your allegiance to a flag under one God, it, it's in all encompassing indoctrination into yeah. white Christian nationalism. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I encourage listeners to go uh, find some old pictures of what kids used to do before they put their hands over their hearts for the pledge. Mm-hmm. Yep. And in many cases, in many areas, that is still happening. Wow. You know, there are, you know, I've heard of these small rural schools where these kids are praying in the morning and, you know, praying before their snacks and their meals. And, and you know, I mean, it, thank you for yes. Please pray away. But on your own time, you know, take a moment to yourself. But teachers, school officials should not be leading them. Oh, right, right. I mean, I remember at one of the high schools I was at, we had a table of um, some of the uh, more religious students. And they would literally get together and they would pray before their meal. And everybody respected that. You know, nobody would try to scream at them or, you know, everybody just respected that these kids felt the need to pray and that was okay. And it's, I just don't know why we can't live that way without forcing either side to commingle in these ways. It, it, the whole religious thing, that is a personal thing, you know, and you can pray as much as you want and that's not going to hurt anybody. So, um, side (laughs) sticking their religious indoctrination into our public schools, uh, Indiana Republicans ha- have their sights set on public education in other ways. Uh, yes, this session. 
Yes, actually. And we did have more stuff that has not pushed through. I do want to point out that this kind of is a big one. It's Senate Bill 202, and this is state educational institution matters, and this is going to affect our public universities and colleges. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So right now at these universities, the board of trustees is made up of six individuals who are appointed by our governor, two, two individuals who are appointed by like the alumni council or whatever name that they have for it. And then one is a current student at the university. Yeah. Now, right now, that alumni council has the power to choose those two alumni seats. If this bill were to go through, that would change and it would be the legislature that chooses those two alumni, specifically the Speaker of the House and, um, gosh, what's his name? Basically, the supermajority. I mean, they would have control of it. It's the two main people in the state house and they would be the ones picking the alumni. So we would literally in this situation where we are right now with a Republican governor and a Republican supermajority, it would be all politically appointed individuals by a Republican supermajority and one student. And I don't know how that one student is chosen, but I have to imagine if there is so much um, political affiliation up at the top of these universities, I can't imagine they're going to pick some liberal arts student to fill that spot. And even if right, 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 exactly. And so this this poses a problem in general because we don't need to be mixing politics in our schools in general, right? Right. But then, like, we already have an unbalanced government. We cannot hand that down in other ways. Balance is the only way that we work as a society. We cannot have a supermajority either way. I mean, in my opinion, there's just no place for that. There needs to be a much more equal representation. I don't even believe in the two-party system. That in itself is absurd to me. But, <laughs> but, but this, we got, so, yeah. yes. So this would be the first thing that would happen. Now we get into where the threat for teachers and students is going to lie more. So they're going to open up a reporting system, which there's already a reporting system, right. right? Every university has a reporting system for things that happen on campus and with teachers and students. And so this would open it up to pretty much anybody. You could be anywhere and you could file a report against a student or a professor. So like if you're in Kentucky and you heard some liberal arts professor said something and that pisses you off, you get to write a report. And they are going to bring these professors in every five years to go over their tenure, which that's also normal. There are practices right. to keep up on people's tenure and doing these interviews and all of this stuff to make sure that they're still doing their job. But this would add in an extra layer and they would be judged based on these reports. So right. I. Right. So stop and think about this. We have a politically appointed board of trustees that was appointed by a Republican supermajority. And they're going to look at these reports on these professors. And in a place like Ball State, for example, there are a lot of liberal arts classes here and professors. And it's amazing. Are these teachers going to lose their tenure because they didn't give enough conservative ideas out? Like these kids weren't hearing enough of this, um, I mean, they just like they want them to do, I don't know, a class on MAGA. I don't, you know, but it's almost like they're like these these professors need to be encouraging everything. So it's and it's like, well, first of all, that doesn't make sense. And second of all, there is a difference in what you're talking about. These teachers, these professors, they do teach about all kinds of ideas and perspectives. That's why they're good at their job. That's why it is important to include diversity and inclusion. That's the point of higher education, right? Right. Right. Well, the problem is, is that they don't realize the type of conservative behavior and ideas that they want these professors to focus on. That's not conservatism. That's you being an asshole. Like, it, it, you know, it, these cons they're saying that these conservative kids are uncomfortable on campus. And it's like, OK, well, people go to higher education to expand their minds. And when you're a conservative on campus, you've decided not to grow. 
in most yeah. cases. Yeah. So yes, people are going to push back on that. If you're using slurs, these college kids aren't going to put up with that. Yeah, they're going to call you out and make you feel uncomfortable because you just made half of them feel uncomfortable. There, it, it, there is a difference. If you have conservative views and you are a decent human being, like that's one thing. But the conservative views of today, I'm sorry, you're just an asshole. And I'm sorry that you didn't get get taught better in kindergarten and first grade and second grade. Maybe instead of pushing this I read and flunking kids, we should be pushing like empathy training and, um, you know, be a buddy, not a bully classes. And you know what I mean? Oh, I, oh, I absolutely know what you mean. Um, and, and let's roll back for a second and, 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 and yes. <laughs> dispense with the myth that that universities are, are are some kind of like bastion for for communism or something. Okay, like universities in this country are are, are fully captured by by the neoliberal institutions uh, that that run everything. They are they are brands. They are are hollow edifices. Like the, the, the most of the professors don't even have tenure. They're paying adjuncts and grad students. Like you know cat food wages to 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 teach these classes that right. they they don't want a population capable of critical thinking right well what is the point of education right to to learn something you have the learners and you have the teachers these teachers don't go into schools because the paycheck is good they go into schools because they want to teach the people that are put in front of them and they want to see them succeed. They don't want to see them fail. They want to see them go on and they want to look at them and be like, ah, oh, I had a part in that. That is what's fulfilling for teachers. It's not the paycheck because the pay is crap, especially in Indiana. So that these professors, they are where they are because they want to help us raise professional, successful adults who are willing to learn. That is the whole point of all of this. And they are good at what they do because those kids are growing and learning and getting uncomfortable and stepping outside the box. And that's what we need. Well, Republicans don't want, you know, kids capable of learning. They want them right. in factories like House Bill 10. Three. Well, hold on. I Before we get to 1093, I do want to add one more thing to Senate Bill 202. Yeah. Okay. And this is where the students are very upset. So when it comes to applying to these universities, you know, kids have to go through this paperwork. They usually have like uh, some kind of dissertation essay, just something that they have to do. Well, if this bill were to go through during the application process, if one of these students were to submit anything to do with diversity, inclusion, equity, the bill as it stands right now states this university may not reward. And it's not like meant like, oh, maybe. No, it's they cannot reward this student for having this in their application process. So these students will be denied to universities because they chose to write about something that has to do with their life personally. You know, that we're talking about like gay students writing about their personal discovery and their personal experiences and how that has turned them into what they believe is a good student and a good learner, right? They can't write about that. And that completely takes away First Amendment rights. Like it, it, you're stripping these students of a chance to talk about their personal lived experience. Well, Jordan doesn't want those people to get higher educations. Higher educations are for their kids so they can manage the factories. <laughs> yes. Yes. So we've been seeing this um, rollback of minor labor laws really across the country. Mm -hmm. And um, there was... <laughs> Joanna King is a huge pusher for this in our state house. She is a big fan of this. Um, she grew up Amish and she likes to cite the um, Wisconsin versus Yoder case that went to the Supreme Court where an Amish family um, basically had the right to only give their child up to an eighth grade education because then they needed them to do manual labor on the farm. And OK, 
okay, this is what they do. This is how our government has allowed um, this to happen, whatever. So she's basically trying to take that and apply it to everybody. And that's what we're seeing across the country is these bills that are trying to take these labor laws and apply it across the board. And so not only are these kids allowed to work as young as 14, they're allowed to work long hours. They're allowed to work up until 9 p.m. And they're allowed to work at places that we may not deem very safe for children. Um, And, you know, during this session, there were a lot of amendments put forward to try to help these kids, to try to keep them from being taken advantage of, help them um, get something in return if they were to hurt, get hurt on the job or killed on the job, which, you know, workman's comp, whatever. These things don't apply to kids. Wow. And so, yeah, they keep trying to put these amendments forward to help these kids, give them some kind of protections, and they get voted down every time. And this is pro-life amendments. Right. Protecting these children who are willing to go work for you, that is a pro-life amendment. And they turned it down. And that blows my mind. And it should upset every single Hoosier in this state. It. Why are we not protecting our kids? And not only like we're saying this in the name of parents' rights, what about the kids' rights? What about their rights to a quality education mm-hmm. or their right to be a freaking child? Working a 20-hour-a-week a job, working until 9 p.m. at 14 years old? Like, I had enough going on at 14. I That would have broken me. Yeah, I mean, look, I had a job when I was 15. You know, I washed dishes like during the summertime and for a couple hours after school, you know, you have to jump through hoops, you have to get the work permit, you know, there's only certain jobs you can do. Mm-hmm. There's a reason for these things. Yeah. But it seems like, well, hey, man, maybe there's been some wage growth the last couple of years and the ownership class uh, needs some downward pressure. Uh, so let's uh, let's get some teenagers into the workforce and pay them peanuts. Right. Well, and and you have to kind of stop and think about it, too. Like, we keep hearing all of this stuff about how great the economy is, right? Okay, well, the pressure is still on the lower class system. They are shrinking. They are strangling. Uh, it, it is bad. And so there's a lot of people, a lot of young people who are kind of living in these lower class systems. And they're like, I'm not going to work for these shit wages. I'm going to go start my own business. And they start their own cleaning business or, you know, their own trading shop. And that's how they're making their money. And they're not working for these big corporations anymore. They don't want to. They don't want to work for McDonald's and Walmart and because it's junk it's trash right they get treated like crap and they get paid like crap so they're going and doing their own thing so now we need more workers right we're we're, we need more because we're also trying to keep immigrants out now so if we can push them out and we we need more workers no not those yes it'd be much better for 14 year olds to be doing this stuff because if they are not getting a quality education and you know they're going to be in these situations where maybe these places and businesses are making them think that it's better for them to be there and you know promising them all this stuff and then these kids drop out at 16 and come and work there full time and then you literally have a manual labor a laborer for the rest of their life you know, the these kids then miss out on the opportunity to go to college. And then when they want to go to college, they have to get they have to jump through a bunch of hoops and do all the paperwork and take the tests. And then they got to apply. And a lot of colleges aren't taking kids that took a GED. You know, you're going to go to community colleges. And, and then still, a lot of the jobs that people were able to get with these degrees back then, it's not the same now. Now it's more. You need more unless you're a teacher and then you need less. And, you know, that's just because we don't want to pay them a living wage. So we want 16 year olds in the classrooms without any kind of training. Just absurd. Let's let's keep complaining about how bad the public school system is, but continue to do things that only take away from it. Well, yeah, about that. So uh, back to the the Senate and back to public education, there are. Uh, a couple bills that uh, SB 211 and SB 270 uh, dealing with like charter schools and uh, how they are apportioned funding. It looks like 211 
hasn't moved, but um, 270 has officially crossed over. So, so yeah, so now we're going to have to watch that. And actually, not loading up. Okay, so it looks like it just crossed over. So if we're going to see 270 again, we're probably going to see it um, towards the end of next week. But then I don't know that we're going to see 211 again. Mm. Either way, so 270 would require public schools to share tax referendum funds with charter schools. Um, I believe already don't um, local school districts have to share with like property taxes with the charter schools is uh, that one last year yeah there was actually quite a few things that they did like the charter schools um are getting that revenue um they're also able to purchase those school buildings for a dollar right. and like and don't have to worry about any of those taxes um yeah i mean they're given a lot right now and they want to give them even more um, you know, and, and I mean, that just seems to be the case. And and it's this is kind of a hard fight because I want to put it out there that there are really great charter schools. Um, we had an instance during the education committee where um, Delaney was questioning these schools that are all like black. Right. And how, you know, that segregation is bad. And I would generally I would say, yes, segregation in any form is not a good idea. However, these charter schools and I've met the guy who runs one of these charter schools. He is an amazing, lovely guy. And all he wants is to give these black children the leg up that they have not been given yet. And and that is his focus. And it's because he understands the realities. So we need to understand this is not about equality. This is about equity. So some of these charter schools are they're coming in and they're filling these big gaps for some of these um, underprivileged kids. And we need to accept that and we need to support that. But there's better ways to go about it. We do not need to allow people to come into our state, buy up schools for a dollar, say, I'm going to have 50 kids, get 50 kids worth of funding and then close their school at the end of the year and not have to pay anything back like there needs to be accountability. There are charter schools that are really doing the damn thing and they got their classrooms set up and they got great teachers and they're giving these kids some hope. And then you have charter schools like the one that was up by me here in Delaware County where they didn't even buy desks and seats. They walked into the building and these kids are sitting on the floor doing absolutely nothing. It was just it, it was just fake. They it wasn't really anything. And people need to be held accountable for that. And yeah. If these charter schools want the money, I say, let's come up with a solution to where we can fund public and charter schools that are actually doing what they're supposed to be doing and give them the support that they need. I don't have a problem with charter schools because I think that a lot of charter schools fill a spot. Just like I think it's okay for religious people to have their religious school, I think it's okay for Black people to have a school for Black children. They are a minority that has been oppressed. It is about equity. It is about letting them get the instruction that they need to become equal in our society, right? Yeah. It, 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 we're, people need to stop looking at it as an equal thing. Well, if black kids can have a black school, white kids can have an all-white school. That's not how it works. That, that is not equity, right? Because those white kids already have a leg up. I mean, yeah. we're living in a state that touts uh, white nationalism. Those white kids have a leg up in Indiana. And and to say otherwise, you're lying to yourself and you're doing a disservice to the people around you who deserve the truth. Yeah. And that's and I and, and you know, I, I can't argue your point about those, you know, specific charter schools. Um, but I will say in general, if public education hadn't been systematically destroyed and and worse first wouldn't be hard I much smaller 
much smaller. And and that is unfortunate. And that's why it's like it, it, we also have to understand that it's 2024 and we want to progress and we want to evolve. And I do think that charter schools are a part of that because I think that there is a place for children with, you know, special needs or special abilities and these charter schools fill some of those spaces too. And in the meantime, let's build our public schools back up. We sure as hell don't need to be funding private schools. That is, that's absurd. Private schools are there for a reason to provide a private education and they take money from those families and those families are willing to pay it. Mm-hmm. Right. They didn't want to pay it. There are public schools and there are charter schools. Yeah. And I, really, you know, private schools are basically give away to hold. Right. Right. And and the whole charter school thing, like we would not have as many, one, if we had more support in the public schools, but two, if there was more accountability and we weren't just handing things to them for free. Like if you want to start a charter school, there needs to be a process and it can't be like a couple months and you can open up a school. This needs to be like you have to prove like what you're going to do, just like other schools. They have to turn in curriculum like it's all approved by the district. The charter school needs to be the same thing. And sure, maybe we can get somebody working in our special or our education department that can talk to these charter schools about different types of curriculums, right? If they want to write their curriculum, fine. Let's have somebody working in education that can do that. And I think that we should be able to do that with public schools too. I think the control of the curriculum is crazy. As long as we have a process to make sure that that is approved and that is age appropriate, which we do, there's no reason that these teachers shouldn't be able to take some liberties with this curriculum and not just be forced to force feed kids curriculum that is sometimes outdated. Yeah. Ah, uh, so the legislature seems to be doing what they have done for the last, oh, 15, 20 years, doing the bidding of industry doing the bidding of uh, their their donors in the private education sector, uh, going to bat for religious nationalists with you know, chaplains and the, the churches and the schools. And this is all gross, but perhaps the grossest thing uh, our legislature is up to this session is House Bill 1264, attacking voting rights once again. Are there any left to attack? Um. But- not we'll see what happens over the next few years anybody who thinks that this isn't affecting them now it's gonna affect you it will or it's going to affect somebody that you love because it is yes it is happening the house bill 1264 i was actually i'm very thankful i was able to testify against this the other day and um it's just wrong to ever put any kind of red tape around voting. And what this bill does is it adds extra steps for people who are especially living in like transient situations or um, new citizens. It's adding more steps to prove residency. And we have a proven safe election system here. And when we heard testimony the other day, we seem to have gotten to the bottom of some of these problems. And I'll tell you, there was a clerk that testified from Lake County, and she was in support of this bill. And Lake County has 500,000 people in it. That's up in Northwest, you know, Gary and all of that. Yeah. So she testified and was asked how many or uh, what happens? How how does this happen that um, people who aren't citizens get registered to vote? Because that's what they're trying to fight here is non-citizens somehow are getting registered to vote and they want to fight that. And so he was like, well, how is this happening? And she said, well, these people, they go to the BMV to get an ID, not a license, just an ID. And the people at the BMV fill out the registration paperwork with them. And so it's like, Okay, and then he's like, so what happens when that happens? What do you do? And she goes, well, we contact them and let them know that they can't vote. And and so he's like, okay, um, okay. And how many times has this happened? And she said, well, I'm in Lake County and to my knowledge, twice. 
And let me be clear, this woman is not a new clerk. This is not something that just happened this year or last year. So she's saying it's happened twice that she knows of in her time working in these offices that they caught it and that they contacted these people. And it turns out this isn't non-citizens illegally registering on purpose. It's somebody at the BMV not knowing how to do their job. So it sounds to me like government employees need training because my organization knows more about voting rights than cops, than the people at the BMV, than the people sometimes even at the courthouse. There's no reason that the people working within government should not know all of the voting rights, all of them. This is your job. This is the most important thing to American democracy. And you don't know what you're doing and you're going to blame it on people who come here and don't know any better than to sign the papers you give them. Like the audacity. It was just stunning to me sitting in that room that we were hearing this. And and, and it, it shouldn't private anymore. Right. I mean, this is the typical Republican playbook. Um, solve a problem that doesn't exist by making it harder for people on the margins to express their political will. And, right. and it turns out people on the margins are a lot less likely to to buy the bullshit that these guys are serving up. And, right. Well, but, uh, you all, all return. Yes. Well, and the language itself, it, it causes alarm because voters in Indiana are already so disenfranchised. Anytime language comes up like this, it just hurts people even more. And they're like, well, you know, what am I going to do? And it's just, you know, they know who they're oppressing, you know, and especially when you look at the bigger picture, you've got foster kids who have been through the system and have a reason to fight. You have um, black kids who have grown up oppressed who have a reason to fight. You have gay kids who were oppressed and treated badly by their parents and thrown out and are houseless who are willing to fight. And then they're not going to get a chance to because it's going to be harder for them to prove where they live. And this affects students, too. Students already have a hard time getting um, proof of residency and being able to uh, vote, whether it's absentee or if they want to change voting to the college town that they're in. They already have to jump through hoops and have all kinds of issues with it. And not only that. My organization registered thousands of people last year and the other organizations did, too. With this law, we would not be able to do that. In order to get these new registrants registered, we would have to go to the county office with them so that they could provide proof of residency before they can be registered. So, like, we couldn't do our job. We wouldn't be able to register them with papers. Like, they have to do it. And that is absurd because... We're spending so much time out there, not just registering people, but trying to find ways to get them to show up. And this would just put more red tape around that. And I'll tell you, I don't do well with red tape. It's just crime to prevent the youth, the poor, ethnic minorities, sexual minorities from kicking these people out. Mm-hmm. Uh, um. Is there anything our legislature's doesn't? I, you know, honestly, there were a lot of really good bills in the beginning. And I, I am actually really proud of a lot of the legislators in the state house. I mean, unfortunately, it's primarily from one party, but there was some um, bipartisan efforts. And unfortunately, a lot of that stuff didn't come through. But I kind of do want to bring up um, Senate Bill 2, which is a child care bill. Yes. So this bill is they're trying to fix child care in Indiana. We all know that it is hard to find quality child care. And when you find child uh, quality child care, you can't afford it. This, I mean, it's just completely yeah. out, out of reach. So this is supposed to give some support to like FSSA and create like an extension on voucher programs and stuff like that for child care. And it looks like it hasn't had action for a bit but it has crossed over so we're gonna hope that it comes up um you know this would really help with the child care problem um indiana's a right to work state so child care really goes into that 
And we need to be thinking about that. People can't work if they can't find childcare. So that's a good one. And then we have um, House Bill 1418, which is a contraceptive um, bill. And I'm trying to find that because it doesn't look like that one's gotten movement. And that is highly unfortunate. Yeah. 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 It's. It's hard to see these go. And it really is. You know, we had bills this year like Kodora. He wrote a bill about hair discrimination. And I know that people think, oh, well, that doesn't affect me. But it does affect your neighbors. It really, truly does. It is a thing. And that's the type of legislation that we should be able to get through. Like uh, having a bill about hair discrimination and protecting people, that is something that is so easy to do. Like, why can't we have that? It would it, it it's nothing big. And instead they just let stuff like that die and then they spend a whole day on hunting bobcats. Um so but you know, here's the good news. They legalized throwing stars last year, so we can definitely hunt bobcats or throwing stars if you're interested. What you know, I I I I'm intrigued. How's that? <laughs> Yeah. It, Anything else decent going on up there, Chelsea? Uh, you know, we've got the House Bill 1058. Um, this was a breast tissue thing. And I'm looking and it doesn't look like there has been movement on that either. But I'm still hopeful that we can still get a couple of these picked up. Um, it's really important to look and reach out to legislators and ask them. You can even just reach out to your own legislator and say, hey, um, this is a bill that I really support. I'd really appreciate it if you would take it into consideration to speak up on this. Just encourage everybody that you can to speak up on it, whether it is your own legislator, the chair of that committee, or the entire committee. I like reaching out to all of them. I think that different messages to different people make the biggest impact. And I know it's so easy to fill out a form email and send it, but sometimes these guys really need to hear from you on a personal level. Uh, when I gave my testimony the other day on 1264, I focused on the fact that I have a military family. My son is in Civil Air Patrol. He's going to be in the Air Force. He's a proud American raised by proud Americans. And I am a proud American because I have the right to vote. You know, that is a really big part of it. And putting any kind of red tape around that is horribly un-American. And as a proud American and a proud Hoosier, that affects me. And so that was my testimony that like this is you're taking something away from all of us when you do this, because rights are rights are rights. They apply to everybody, not just some. And that was the point that I wanted to get across. And I, Mike Gaskill, I, I tried to make eye contact with him a lot because, you know, he's the chair. I wanted him to hear me. And I feel like he listened. And, and, and I feel like he was listening to a lot of the people who were speaking on this. So that gives me hope. Um, I like watching these guys very, very closely. I like picking up on their body language. And a lot of them are very obvious in their body language. Gaskill is not as obvious sometimes, but I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that they are hearing these personal stories and how these policies are persecuting people on these personal levels that our legislators will just never understand. Say, doesn't your website have template tip for contacting your legislator? Lots of other way, great ways to get involved in our democracy. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we try to keep our website up to date with the information that you need. It's madvoters.org. Um, we have ways that you can find your legislator. You can go to our bill tracker and go through those and figure out the ones that you're most passionate about. You know, if, if you want comprehensive sex ed in this state, look at that bill, push the legislators to make amendments, to make changes or to just drop it. Uh, if we all do this together, we really can make a difference. Like I said, when we got going on 1291, we know that we were making a difference. People were buzzing at the state house, going, what is going on? Why is everybody here? Why is everybody making a fuss? And it's because people showed up. And now that bill is dead. And if we wouldn't have been paying attention, how far would it have gone? Right? Who knows? And they know we're here now. So keep showing up. 
because they're waiting for us to drop off. We can't do that. So every person who hasn't written an email yet, if you wrote one email right now, that would be a huge impact because I'm guessing that is thousands and thousands of people. Chelsea McDonald, madvoters.org. Go to the website. Everything you need to help you get in contact with your legislator. Chelsea, thank you once again. Love having you. Thank you so much. I love being here. Once again, that was Mad Voters Chelsea McDonald with a rundown of some of the most important bills making their way through the Indiana State Legislature this 2024 session. Here are my takeaways. Many of these same bills with the exact same or only slightly modified language are moving through the assemblies in Republican-controlled states all over the country. Don't Say Gay originated in Florida. Chaplains in schools, they passed that in Texas last year. Children in dangerous industrial jobs, passed recently by Iowa, Arkansas, and others. Chances are, the legislators bringing these bills to the table didn't write them. Armies of lawyers working for think tanks and organizations like the State Policy Network, ALEC, and the National Association of Christian Lawmakers come up with model legislation and pass it to their proxies who in the words of former Ohio Democratic Party chair and author David Pepper, use their states as laboratories of autocracy. The Republican mad scientists in Laboratory Indiana are testing Hoosier's tolerance for bullshit on three variables. Religious freedom, public education, and business regulation. It turns out, most folks don't like Republican policies because they're bad for people, the planet, and your pocketbook. So, how do you gain support if your platform sucks? Get the best, uh, get the base whipped up into a frenzy with some good old-fashioned fundamentalist Christian zealotry. Attacks on abortion rights, LGBTQ individuals, and secular institutions animate religious conservatives to turn out in support of GOP candidates even though their economic policies hurt their own voters. Then, they tie these culture war issues to public education. They accuse teachers and counselors of grooming children to be gay. They portray accurate depictions of American history as scary-sounding critical race theory. They denounce colleges and universities as woke institutions full of Marxists and communists. Why? attempt to destroy public education, such a snidely whiplash, mustache-twirling, cartoonishly evil position to take. And make no mistake, that is the goal. For the Christian nationalist true believer, you get public funds directed to private religious schools, the kind that can discriminate. For investors in the private charter segment, taxpayer dollars directed to their uh, for-profit enterprises, Less money for public schools means closing buildings, firing teachers, and eviscerating the power of the teachers' union. A long-time conservative goal. Allowed to continue, this creates a feedback loop as defunded public schools produce worse results, leading to further defunding. Finally, the kids stuck in those public schools? Factory fodder. Get to work. Republicans provide their business class donors with a poorly educated, easily exploited workforce for their unsafe, poorly regulated non-union shops. With a population not trained in critical thinking, few will even be able to comprehend the totality of their domination by wealthy interests. But wait, there's more. Because... Even if we comprehend this now, even if we see their plans, send up warning flares, and organize against them, Indiana Republicans have gerrymandered themselves into such an insurmountable majority, placed so many hurdles in front of voters, and continue to make it even more difficult to cast a ballot, that it may take decades to get our heads above water. If we even have decades. The best time to stop them is now, and we need all hands on deck. Next time, 
we'll look at the biggest tool the left has to fight MAGA-Republican white Christian nationalist extremism, the Democratic Party. It's a rusty old machine with lots of complicated moving parts. Many on the left think it's antiquated, ineffective, or even counterproductive. But for all its flaws, and there are many, I still think our best bet is to use what we've got. Monroe County Democratic Party Chair David Henry knows a good bit about how the old jalopy operates, and he'll join us tomorrow. Until then, this has been the Who's Left Podcast. I'm Scott Aaron Rogers. Love each other, Indiana. Indiana.